The Magic Book Club podcast. Hello, it's the Magic Book Club podcast. We've got a lovely interview coming up today. The brilliant Prue Lee, who of course you'll know from all sorts of things like Bake Off. She is also a quite accomplished um, writer as well of novels. And we're talking about her new book, The Lost Son. So without further ado, here is the fabulous Prue Leith. You are listening to the Magic Book Club podcast and joining us on this episode. Well, I'm very glad to be here. This is the wonderful Prue Leith. Hello, how are you? I'm very happy. Good, good. I mean, you would have thought it's the Cook Club podcast, but no, not so much. You were an author as well. I did not know this about you until this arrived on my desk a few Uh, weeks ago. Yes, I know. I've written eight novels and um, people still think I'm a cookery writer. And I have recently written a cookbook, but for 25 years I wrote nothing but novels. When did you write your first novel then? 1993. No. Wow. Anyway... But it is true, they have never sold, um, I mean, they've never gotten to the bestseller list. Mm. However, um, I have hopes for this one because I love it. Well, it's called The Lost Son. Mm. Now, give us, give us in a nutshell, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. It's hard to sum up in a sentence. That's my challenge to you, <laughs> oh, Prue. It's, <laughs> it's basically about um, a man who was adopted at birth in the war. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of people, there were huge amount of um, illegitimate children born in the war. Um, and he comes back in modern times as a 55-year-old and crashes into his birth family. He he finds his birth mother. Yeah. And has, there are fantastic consequences. I mean, you can imagine if you don't know who your parents are and, and they're not quite sure who the father is. Yeah. It's all... Quite exciting. And that moment when he meets his birth mother and father yeah. doesn't go as you'd expect. No. Well, you see, I, actually I did a lot of research on this because my, well, I didn't have to do very much research because my um, husband was adopted. He was b- born in um, the war illegitimately. Mm-hmm. And so he used a company that about um, 20 years ago was still operative looking for Reunite, reuniting children with their parents. Okay. And um, they told him all about how parents react. And the truth is that birth mothers who don't, who have given away their son, their immediate reaction is normally horror at at a child reappearing. That's the first reaction oh, because funny. they think he'll hate me because I gave him away. Um, the guilt overwhelms them. Yeah. They feel. Of course, I'm generalizing, but this is the usual, the most often, um, rea- most usual reaction. Mm. And they're also terrified that the ch- that the, their child, who's now grown up, would only be contacting them because the, he's unhappy, he's had a miserable life, he's, he's got no money. Something's gone wrong, he's after something. He's after something. Yeah. And th- so their immediate reaction is, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't, I don't understand this date you're talking about, which is the date of his birth, of course, because yeah. they write a letter saying, does this date mean anything to you? And they just deny all knowledge. Oh, just, and um, wow. I haven't any so money. So did this happen to your husband? When, yes, did he... yes. And, um, but then, of course, when they're reassured that, you know, the child is perfectly happy and has had a good um, upbringing and doesn't hold it against their parents and is just um, both curious and would love to meet her. Mm. And then they, they, it all works right in the end. But in this case, in my um, in my book, it doesn't go that smoothly because there are other secrets that so have many not been secrets. Revealed and I'm not going to tell you. Let's not now. do that. Let's not have any spoilers. No, definitely not. Um, and it's uh, it's set 
Well, it's set a lot in the Cotswolds. Yeah, I live in the Cotswolds. Right, I'm very okay. lazy. <laughs> so you were, I, you're I, researching wise. You've used your husband. Excellent. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. And and a lot of my books are about novels are about chefs or restaurateurs or people in the food business because it's a world I know. Mm. And I use the Cotswolds a lot because I don't have to um, get a map out and start <laughs> thinking about yeah. how long it drive, takes to drive from it. You just know. Takes, you know. But also, it's a beautiful part of the world yeah. to read about. I mean, that's what we love when we read, when we read our books. We go somewhere else yeah. to the characters' worlds. And if it's in the Cotswolds, I'm very happy to spend a while mentally in the Cotswolds. Yeah, right. That yeah. works for me. Some of it is in London um, and some of it's in Italy. Because mm. the, 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 the family that he comes back to... His mother has married an Italian prisoner of war. Yes. Um, and um, so the whole Itali- the family is very Italian and very unlike him. He is very um, English and stiff upper lips and doesn't, you know, his parents never put their arms around him. I mean, right. his, his adopted parents never. Yeah. And they weren't cold. Well, they were cold, but they didn't mean it. You know, they weren't evil. No. But um, very British. And he suddenly finds himself in this. He just falls in love with the whole family because they are so outgoing and noisy and they sing a lot. And yes. Shout a lot. Yeah, yeah, big, a, expressive. A lot. Yes. <laughs> but that. that's, I mean, that's a great thing, isn't it? That's obviously a huge part of your life and it's a huge part of, of this book. There's loads of food and drink. They run restaurant businesses very successfully. Mm. I like, And I like the sort of inside knowledge. So, for example, the bit when um, they get their Michelin star. Mm. Yeah. Do you, is that true that you only find out when you get the book sent to you? And you, ha- I would have thought well, you got an email before saying, "Hey, listen." Yeah, no. Well, I, I don't know what happens now. Um, but when I got my Michelin star, um, we were told on the day that it was announced, but we were given a phone call just before it was announced. But still, right on the day. But we had an idea because they because somebody was booking a festive lunch, a lunch from the Michelin organization. In our restaurant. No pressure. And, and that happened before the announcement, and I thought they wouldn't be choosing us if we hadn't got a star. That is a good sign. Although that would be so cruel if they did that just to wind you up. <laughs> and then there was no star at the end of it. But that's but that, all that stuff about um, how hard it is, uh, or used to be. Mm. Um, I mean, there's so many good chefs now, and so the restaurant trade has improved so much that people get Michelin stars rather quicker than we did. I mean, it took me 25 years. Right, <laughs> yes. Uh, or, or took my chef, I should say, because I wasn't doing the cooking. It wasn't really my star. But anyway, all of that is very real. Mm. And again, it's, you know, I'm stealing bits of my own life because it's, you know... Um, anyway, people are always interested in how the Michelin operates. Yes, yeah, it is fascinating because it's yeah. such a big deal, isn't it, to mm. people oh, in that industry? It is. It's an, it's an extraordinary um, trade. It's really hard. It's not very well paid. The chances of getting to the top and and having your own restaurant and that succeeding mm. is are really slim. Um, but it's like acting. Once you get the bug, um, you keep thinking your fortunes will change next. Yeah. You know, yeah. Your agent will finally ring and give you the starring part. And you think, I will finally get my restaurant and I'll have be able to do, sort of create the... I think what most cooks want is to feed other people. Yes. And they want to see people happy because they're eating great food. Mm. It's a kind of, uh, it's very odd. A lot, of, a lot of chefs don't themselves eat very much. You know, they're skinny as anything and quite neurotic. Mm. But they love to see other people eating and they want to get it right. 
They love is. those big celebratory moments where everyone yeah. gathers around, yeah. everyone's eating. And yet yeah. what's interesting about the book is that you have big family get-togethers, yeah. Yeah. which well, don't go smoothly, so despite the fact the food's delicious. <laughs> the family problems... <laughs> well, family problems tend to surface at times like Christmas and big big moments, don't they, when everybody has a few too many drinks and then says what's really on their mind. I am just nodding so, along yes, to that. that. Ha- that <laughs> Amen to but that. It, but there is something about feeding people. I mean, my... Um, my sort of dream world where I'm really happiest is when I'm at the end of a really large family table with lots of friends and I'm sort of dolloping out cassoulet or, you know, shepherd's pie or, or cockaliki soup or something, mm. something very homely and delicious and everybody's eating. That's what makes me happy. Well, these books will also make people very happy because they've got I those moments so. in them as my well. My other dream, which I've not, it's not ha- ever happened yet. Go on. But my, I really long for the day that I'm sitting in a train and I see somebody <laughs> reading one of my novels. It's going to never so happened. It will happen. It's never it happened. will happen. Unless they're reading on a Kindle. Uh, no, well, if they're no, reading they're on a Kindle. They're mostly on their phones anyway. Mm. But, so, but in the old days, you always saw poor people reading books. Yeah. And... Um, but uh, I did is... once see somebody reading a cookbook. Oh, oh my you God. What, and what did you do? Did you sidle up to them? No, I didn't. Oh, come on, Prue. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't. You've got to sidle up and say, which one are you reading? That's a good no, one. I did. Uh, recently, I saw somebody um, pick one of my books off of, um, in, a, in a bookshop. Pick, you know, they, I saw her. She was browsing along and she pulled this book out and she looked at it and she read the. It wasn't this one. Mm. Um, it was a cookbook. And she... Uh, and she looked at it for a long time, and she was obviously interested in it, and then she put it back. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I would have had to go up to her. Excuse me. I, I wanted to go up to her. What's the problem? Honestly, don't, don't, stop hesitating. Just find. <laughs> so is it fair to say you're going to be hanging around trains and bookshops <laughs> yes, exactly. now the lost sun is out? Exactly. It's actually, you know, it's the third in a trilogy. Right. And okay. but all three books are completely separate. I mean, I wouldn't write a book that you had to re- have read them. A and B before you can read C. You don't need to revise. No, you don't have to have read the other two. Mm. But it is what I liked, from my point of view, I've always been fascinated at the change in food fashions since the war. You know, we started with rationing and then it was austerity immediately after the war, which is even worse than because the rationing was still there and mm. it was a miserable time. And then, you know, finally you got into nouvelle cuisine in the, in the end of the 60s, the early 70s. And that was a great explosion of better food. And then, you know, the Italian invasion and the and right up to now, you know, when we have back to street food and organic food and, and Hester Blumenthal. I mean, the changes in food and the fashions in cooking have been yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And that was my first theme. I thought I'd love to write a, a novel that encompasses all that time. And, of course, you can't do it in one novel. Um, so I thought, well, I'd better do it in three novels. Yeah, so the yeah. first one is in the war, when the hero for this book is born. Right. And then the second one is the 60s and 70s, which is when I started getting catering, and so I like that period. Mm. And then the last one is sort of now. Well, it's actually, it, 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 it covers the period of the Twin Towers and the financial crash. 
So it's it's big themes in this. It's big themes, all well, underpinned all affect by food. Us, don't they? Yeah, of course. They all yeah, yeah. Us, yeah, yeah. It's, there's a lot to relate to. And so, taking that theme, if you'd done three, say you were to do a fourth, and I don't know if you are or not, but uh, yeah. set into the future, what would be the next sort of if if we're at the market food, street food type thing now, where would we be in five, ten years' time? Do you think? I don't know. I think it would be interesting to write a book. I won't do it because I promise you, a trilogy is. It's tough enough. Yeah. As you get into the third book, there are so many characters. You've got to remember their history and when they died and when they went grey and how <laughs> old they are and what colour their eyes are. It's yeah. just too... It's difficult. like Game of Thrones. It's a nightmare. It's too difficult. <laughs> so I'm certainly not writing another um, novel tacked onto this one I mean, okay. in, in this series. Um, but I think it would be really interesting to write about... Um, most of my books are written about sort of middle-class families, because that's what I know about. Mm. But I think what's happening in food in really poor families is desperate. And, I mean, I don't know if you get a good novel out of it, but I think you probably could. Um, but, you know, people who are poor are eating worse and worse yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, you know, we all worry about obesity and so on, and... And we don't do enough in schools to to educate children how to eat. So, yeah, tough. Mm, But I'd like to cover some of that. So, when you're writing these books, and obviously you've got another one planned, next one planned, happening? I haven't got a next one planned. It's the first time in my life I haven't been planning a book. You're too busy with all your TV. Cancel the Bake Off and get writing some more books, frankly. Do you you know what? I don't know. It's very interesting because I've always thought of of writing as a disease. You know, (laughs) you've got it and you can't cure it and you it's a kind of itch you've got to keep writing and it doesn't matter what you write you know when i was um writing cookery that satisfied the itch yeah you know, when i was doing it when i was journalist and writing and i still do some journalism and stuff that's satisfying um even business reports or pictures when i was running my business i was always trying to i was always writing the stuff yeah yeah but this is the first time I've actually felt quite relaxed. So maybe I'm cured. Maybe I'm wow. finally, I'm nearly 80. I'm going to be 80 next um, February. So maybe I'm finally cured and I don't have to write another book. So that is However, the, what is the cure then? Write a trilogy. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> no, I think it might be um, that I will write short stories because I've just started writing short stories and that's quite exciting. Nice, nice. But I don't know, I might write another novel. You'll, um, so you'll be back here in a year. Um, so The Lost Sun is out now. Prue, tell me, before we lose you, tell me a little bit about your writing process. How do you how do you do that? Are you very disciplined? In a way I am. I mean, I'm not disciplined in the sense that I you know, sit down every morning and write like some writers do, you know, mm. no phone calls in the morning and they, and they get up at the right. I don't do that. But what I do do is I plot how many hours I'm going to need to to get the book in on time. I see. And then on the fridge door, there's these sort of... Because um, I work it out from how many words I write in an hour, roughly. Like and, putting a recipe uh, together. Yeah, it's exactly... It's the same maths the going into getting it. There. Yeah. And then I I tick it off. And, and if I'm falling behind, you know, I think I've got to write 5,000 words in two days and mm. I haven't done it, um, then I have to get up earlier in the morning. And the only way to get there is to do it early in the morning because after lunch, my brain's dead. It just does. <laughs> I can correct stuff. Yes. I can do um, editing and deleting, but I absolutely can't think of a single 
I can't do anything creative. That creative part of the brain switches off at lunchtime. Yeah, it's had it. Yes. And Once so I've watched Neighbours, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> Boo! Just white noise for the rest of the day until I go to bed. Well, exactly. So I. And when you are writing, who is the person? Who's the one person? And we ask this to all our authors yeah. who come on, and it's usually, the answer is usually a dog, which is great. Who is the one person who's allowed to interrupt you while you're writing? Well, actually, um, in a sense, nobody's allowed to. But I, my husband takes no notice of this, <laughs> uh, and so he. But he does get, what happens is I look at him and, I, and I'm trying to listen to what he's saying. But actually my brain's not there. <laughs> so he gives up and goes away. Just thinks, oh, well, you know. Because but, you're um, elsewhere when you're writing, because but, your brain just goes somewhere else. No, everybody knows. I, I write in the kitchen and, oh, okay. um, and I can quite concentrate with the noise going on. I don't mind if somebody comes in, makes a cup of coffee and moves out again. Mm. It's just if they want my attention that I'm likely to look at them blankly. <laughs> Just look straight through them. Um, and uh, finally, what books have inspired you? What's your? What do you look to? Who do you try and emulate? Who are your writing heroes? A huge question and a slightly annoying question to finish on. And it always makes people go, oh, because it's... Uh, I mean, my... I, if I went off to a desert island, I'd have to have the collected works of Anthony Trollope. Okay, lovely, yeah. I mean, Trollope is just so good at character and so good at women you know the women in, in Trollope I mean some of them are a bit sort of wishy-washy but they, I mean in the sense that they're obedient mm. but they're always well-drawn characters mm. and um, and I actually I love those Victorian novels um, I, I can never understand why people are slightly scornful about love stories you know sort of the literati and probably you guys you know <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd rather talk to somebody who's written a really <clears throat> incomprehensible book of prize. Book. No, it's usually a girl is missing. That's what that's the thrillers they're always after. But no, yeah, I see what yeah, you mean. They There's always a... have the word girl. In yeah, the back, yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, but there, so there's, you're right. There, there is a snobbery towards love stories. That's interesting. Yes, yeah. and and there's not. If you're a man and you've written a love story like Sebastian Fox, there are lots of men who write. I mean, I suppose Birdsong is one of the most wonderful love stories ever written. It's yes. just amazing. Yes. But it's and, the first time I've heard it described as a love story. Oh, but it is. But of course it is. But it's a war novel because it's for men, so it's I know, a war it's novel. It's a war novel, yeah. and it's a deep insight into, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. into the psychology of a blah blah blah. Yeah. That's what readers say. If it was written by a woman, it would be slapped onto the romantic shelves, and it would be down in the basement. Yeah. So I I get a bit cross that um, if you're a woman, it's always expected to be slush, pink slush, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and often the covers come out rather too romantic mm. but i i have to admit that there's a problem here which is as we know romantic novels actually sell better than booker prize literary absolutely literature yeah so um what am i complaining about absolutely nothing <laughs> more more romantic novels <laughs> That's all we want. We want the numbers. We want the numbers. Uh, listen, Pruleith, The Lost Son is out now. It's a fantastic book. It's a great read. And uh, congratulations on completing the trilogy. And I, I, I hope there are more. I hope. Thank you. you. Know. Please thank don't you, thank tell you. me that's the end of your writing books because they're great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Magic Book Club podcast. Oh, she's going. She's walking out of the building. The wonderful Leith. What a pleasure to meet her. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did enjoy it, go and you know do the stars thing and subscribe and all that business on your podcast provider. And we'll be back soon with more great authors and book recommendations.